Welcome to our Future Impact podcasts, hosted by Bristol Business School and Bristol Law School at UE Bristol. During the series, we aim to bring you cutting edge research and talk to academics and practitioners about the real issues and future opportunities for businesses today. We'd love to hear what you think of the series and for you to comment on what we discuss. You can do that through our social media channels or by emailing fbl.news at uwe.ac.uk. So we're joined this morning by two experts and uh, we're going to be discussing playfulness and leadership development and uh, some issues and matters surrounding both of those. So I'm first going to ask our guests uh, to introduce themselves and uh, we'll start with you this morning, Arthur. Yeah, good morning. Um, my name is Arthur Turner. I'm um, a senior lecturer in organisational studies or in the organisational studies cluster. So concentrating on coaching um, uh, and mentoring as a, a sort of subset of, of leadership development. Brilliant. Thank you, Arthur. And Steve. Oh, good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm Steve Kempster at Lancaster University Management School. I've got a chair in uh, leadership learning and development. I've worked with uh, Arthur over many years and we put a book out there. I just don't want to plug it too much, but there's a book on uh, leadership <laughs> development and experiential methods in all good booksellers. Um, and my area of interest is undoubtedly leadership learning and the development of the practice uh, of with managers leading. Uh, but in the last five or 10 years or so, I've looked at the purposes and responsibilities of those leading and how they become manifest in everyday activities. Brilliant. Thank you both for joining us this morning. So for taking time out of your busy schedules uh, to be with us. Um, so we're going to be having a discussion, as I said, about sort of playfulness. And I think we'll start off by maybe thinking about a definition of, of playfulness in the context of leadership development mm -hmm. and leadership. And maybe Arthur, again, if you're happy to kind of start us off on that. Uh, yes, uh, thank you. Um... I think they, we came across this um, idea of, of playfulness um, as part of the uh, many groups of co cohorts of, of um, delegates taking the coaching and mentoring qualification. And um, it, it was one of these emergent qualities, I think, that we noticed. And uh, I was drawn by the, um, the work of the Dutch philosopher Johan Huitzinger. I, I always hope I pronounce his name correctly. Um, and he wrote a book in the 1930s, um, Homo Ludens, uh, which translated apparently closely says sort of play man. I'm sorry about the, the gender, <laughs> the gender bit of that. Um, and I suppose that there is a, um, a feeling that uh, in trying to define it, of course, you might kind of squash it completely and get rid of it. But the, the idea that, that as a primate, this is how we principally learn. And, I, and I'm drawn by sort of complementary studies around the you know, chimpanzees and young monkeys uh, playing. And one of the things that Johan Hoitzinger suggested was that, that adults tend to lose that, you know, that, that actually inherent in us all is this ability to to play or to be induced to play um, and that's what interested me in terms of the kind of the, the structure of some executive coaching which can be can be it's not necessarily but can feel a bit formulaic with approaches or models and I was interested in this kind of bubbling under of human playfulness I don't know if that's a definition but it's a start Steve how, do, how does that link to your um, ideas of um, leadership development Oh, well, that's really interesting, isn't it? Particularly about the apes and stuff. And 
So as you were saying that, I was just taken back to when I first got into leadership development and it was all barrels and planks and getting over shark infested waters. And uh, if you'd sink into the uh, contaminated ground, you'd, you'd never be seen again. And, um, and we were doing all those things. And at the, even in doing that, which became a little formulaic, as you just put the word in there, Arthur, um, there was a hell of a lot of humor and fun and excitement. And, but the difficulty was trying to translate it back. So that experience is sort of metaphoric analogy to how would you do this in the workplace? Well, we're not often getting across swamps with alligators and this, that, and the other. Uh, and so even though that was great fun, the translation back to the sheer complexity of everyday politics, power, how things really play out in the world of practice was difficult. Um, so I remember those early days thinking, well, this is great fun, but why doesn't it translate? And uh, I bumped into Arthur at, well, it was a BAM conference, wasn't it, Arthur? I think it was Cardiff? indeed, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 10 years ago, I think. 10 years, was it? Yeah, 10 years. September, You've not yeah. aged a bit, Arthur. <laughs> and um, and I remember sitting there, and he suddenly got us all sitting around in a circle talking around. Uh, I wasn't sure if you defined then it was defined as playfulness, but it became very playful, mm. focused at leadership development, a bunch of academics sitting in a circle. And we put on these um, finger puppets onto our fingers, and we were allocated. And it struck me there and then, hey, this is interesting. You could begin to manipulate what was being done through this finger puppet to be a sort of liminal space, somewhere where it wasn't so ridiculously abstract of these barrels and planks. But I could now, if I was sitting there, and I remember, Arthur, you gave me, oh, it was uh, Plato. Not Plato. It was the, the guy who, when you rang a bell and the dog salivated, what was his name? Pavlov. That's the chap, Pavlov. Um, and so I had him on my finger. Sounds awful. But I had him on my finger. And uh, but it allowed me to say things, translate what Pavlov would say, but actually what I was sort of thinking about the world and the complexity of of my world and therefore the possibilities of others. And so that became the reach for me that you could take this ridiculousness of a finger puppet and sit in the world of somebody else, but liminally distort their world into your world and do something with it. So that's when Arthur and I first met. Um, and that's sort of how I'd look at playfulness in the context of leadership development. Thank you both. It's, it's um, really interesting. Arthur's quite famous in UE for the, for the finger puppets. So that <laughs> he's well known for it. Did you say um, infamous, did you? Oh, I didn't. I, no, no, no. <laughs> and um, yeah, we've had quite a few um, people recently who've been through some sessions with Arthur and, and have always referred back to those, to the, to the puppets. And um, it's also something interesting as a, as a sort of a layperson, so not not an expert in this kind of area. Um, I wouldn't necessarily associate playfulness with leadership, so it's it's interesting. I think this is going to be a really interesting discussion. And Arthur, you mentioned coaching, so so how you're kind of uh, using this in coaching. So could you just expand a little bit on that? So how, how playfulness is being used in coaching? Um, yes, uh, uh, I think there are there are. So two or three things that are on my mind, um, and thank you, Steve, for um, introducing the puppets. So I'm, I'm usually the first one to talk about them. So um, thank you for that. Um, firstly, is this idea of um, in coaching is about building rapport, which is um, 
sort of in brackets, how do you build trust with an individual? And I suppose these are things that are easily translated to the workplace. And uh, noticing that um, creating a light atmosphere, um, a liminal space, if, uh, as, if, you, if you like, would be a way in which the human characteristics are, are played out. And it struck me and it struck others really that part of what you're doing is, is allowing people as if they were in a, an ordinary social relationship. So that the things that as people were getting on and finding things they shared, because that was the other thing uh, I noticed, um, was that there was a bubbling up of uh, often laughter, often playfulness, uh, exemplified by the puppets, but actually um, more recently, I've been looking at uh, Malaforis, the, the Oxford uh, academic who talks about mediating objects and the way in which those objects um, can help people uh, relate and say things that are otherwise kind of trapped in their heads, you know, kind of a, a medium for that. And uh, so there were, there were firstly, you know, how do you build rapport? Well, you don't do it by being particularly serious, but you have to create a space in which people can can laugh and be themselves a bit. There's a way in which some of that humor can be remembered. So the, 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 the pleasant time, that liminal space can be remembered as a kind of hook um, to people's memory, which allows you to sort of reintroduce yourself to that relationship between the coach and their client in a much more easier, less formal way than if it is about the starting at the beginning of Grow, for example. Um, and we noticed with groups, I and mean, this is, uh, uh, and group and team coaching is, is uh, continuing to develop as an academic idea, is that the groups then can pick up a kind of playfulness about how they get into that space. So, which, which might, be, might be jokes, more, more often it's sort of a lightness of touch. Um, and notice this even online, you know, people might comment around Christmas about the color of someone's jumper. And then there's someone else will pick it up and say, well, you know, hang on, I'll go and get my jumper. And, and there's a kind of a real a little playfulness around um, objects, color, all the things that we know us humans use to express ourselves, you know, so not just the words or the models, it's something else in this color, sense, touch, that kind of idea. Um, we're going to just talk through the benefits of utilizing playfulness as a means of leadership development. So Arthur, do you want to comment on that? Um, yes, um, I've been, recently been working with a, with a group, um, a small group uh, in the University of South Wales and um, uh, as part of my side, side job. <laughs> and um, uh, they were um, a, a disparate group of people who were uh, they didn't know each other. Um, some were from public service. One was from a bakery. Um, someone was from um, uh, a, host, um, a hostel type environment with, with people who had um, dependency problems. Um, and I think the, what they said to me at the beginning, um, about the beginning of the course, was they had expected um, some PowerPoint slides. They expected me to talk at them for four hours. I think each session was four hours. And I tried to think about the, the ways in which um, uh, to help people think about uh, both their own development. And part of it was part of it was was coaching orientated. So there were things like the importance of building rapport, which leads to building trust, the idea of um, uh, using silence um, as a way of allowing people to to experience liminal space and um, uh, 
what I tried to do was, was incorporate uh, parts of that course that were uh, essentially slightly playful. So uh, they ranged from the, the famous uh, finger puppets to things like uh, Dr. Zeus, um, Oh, the Places You Should Go as a, a, a child's book, which is I, I use a lot, which is very playful and, and imaginative. Um, we talked about um, trying to end each session with a haiku poem. Um, and um, and mo most of these things were to do with, with people being, uh, those delegates being surprised at that process. And it allowed them to think about what they were doing at work. And most of them came back uh, on, a, on this sort of, uh, it was a fortnightly course and said, I've begun to think about that thing about silence or about, uh, also, we also, I also use music, for example, to get people to, uh, and you can play uh, all sorts of playful music that allow people to think about what they're, what they're thinking about in terms of leadership and how it, how it, as Steve was saying, how it sort of transposes itself on their own um, organization, rather than taking a bunch of, of facts and figures uh, represented by a screen and words, they began to play around, kind of play around, and they would say, well, I kind of had this idea. I didn't copy what you did, but I played around with the idea of um, using silence, or I played around with the idea of using music. And it seemed to allow people, um, as Steve hinted at, as a, use a, a sort of conduit um, between the theory of leadership development and the practice uh, and what's more is that they came back to be able to tell me stories about things they'd done that I had no, I mean, I hadn't any connection with, really. They just adapted the idea. So they, it's the same as, uh, as perhaps watching my grandchildren play. You know, they pick up an idea and then they adapt it for their own amusement uh, and so on. So it, it, it's, it then created, um, each of those sessions created a liminal space where people were saying, well, I don't know what we're going to do today. I've probably given them two line headlines about the day um kind of what are we doing so they were quite intrigued you know they, they became engaged in the process rather than saying sorry i'm late um i can pick up the recording of this session later it's not a problem so they became engaged and this is all where for me at least uh coaching executive coaching the skills of a coach and leadership development sort of tie together or in a like a plat and so the playfulness is part of that the strengthening of that that plat or conduit. I don't know whether I've overdone the metaphor, Steve, but um, is that how you see leadership development in terms of playfulness? Yeah, I mean, I I think because I when I started at the management school a couple of decades back now, um, the experiential outdoors was just really taking off. So this was, I'm going back quite a few a bit now. So this is 92, 93. And uh, I remember working with, I remember this guy, Graham, I won't give the surname, uh, but what I'm going to say is flattering and positive uh, anyway. And and uh, and it was quite a critical stage of this program with Bridge Aerospace. And we'd had a couple of problems with the first two, three cohorts. And uh, so I'd been asked to take over this program. And this was my first big program. And I was... I'd met this person up at Ray Castle, which was now, it was, it's a communications, a digital communications center now. This is in the late district. But anyway, this guy, Graham, was running the outdoor bit. And he seemed a really good guy. And I was needing to do something different in this program. And so I asked him if he would do the, the leadership team's sort of OB bit on, on this module. 
And the client was coming to see the changes that we'd introduced because the program wasn't going well. It was going to be a huge program. It ended up rolling out some sort of 60, 70 cohorts. It gives you a size of how it grew. But at this stage, they're about to pull the plug or they could have pulled the plug. And uh, I remember this guy, Graham, and he just he said, imagine the client sitting around and the client's direct report in the room as well. Um, and all these people from British Aerospace who are pretty lovely people, but full-on engineers, um, very serious in their mindset about what they're doing. And so Graham came into the middle of sort of a horseshoe we'd all be familiar with in this training room. And he decided to talk about communication, which can be a really, oddly, a very boring subject. Anyway, he decided to tell them about snow and Eskimos and snow. And I'd never seen somebody so animated, bouncing around, talking and swearing at them, describing and defining different ways snow could be interpreted and how he had these conversations going on between all sorts of people that he was he was playing all these roles in front of them all. And you have to picture this person bouncing around like Tigger, describing different ways that snow could be understood by different people and being those different roles at that time. And I thought, not only was he swearing, <laughs> just being completely out there, but the client was sitting there totally stone-faced at this person and the group were laughing, but she was staring. Anyway, got the coffee, went out, and she said, that's exactly what we need on the programme. More of that. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean more of that? I said, more of stuff that's different, she said. Just make it different, not the norm. And what she was meaning was blend the playfulness right in there. And ever since, um, so, and this will be common to probably most people listening into this, so you'd have a bit of flip chart. So instead of people coming back into a room or starting in a room, you put a piece of flip chart on the floor, you split them into teams, two or three pieces of flip chart, and you put X number of people onto the flip chart paper. They've got to stand there. They've got to hold themselves. They've got to be off the ground. Then you fold that flip chart paper in half again and get the same team on it again. Now, for the sake of two or three or four minutes of doing absolute trivial, trite things, You've changed the complete dynamic in the room. Or a bamboo cane. If you picture a long bamboo cane and you've got 16 people all holding it just with their fingers, so it's resting on their fingers, what always happens without giving it all away is the bamboo cane rises up because they've all got to touch it and the spread of the touching and the energy, because they've all got to touch it, means it goes up. Because they've all got to touch it, it goes up. And they've got to lower it to the floor. Now, just a bamboo cane, just doing that, changes the atmosphere and dynamic in the room. And, and there is just almost an infinite number of things you could do. If we're going to start another session, well, why don't we get the groups organized by the dates of birth? So if it's early on when they're getting to know each other, suddenly asking everybody, to line themselves up from the 1st of January to the 31st of December, just so you can form a couple of groups to have a conversation about something you've just introduced. Why wouldn't you do that? You see what I mean? It has so many layered opportunities to, to refresh and think it through without being forced, without creating some sort of two-day massive game or even going to another extreme, which I'm not so fond of, which is sort of digital computerized 
virtual, this, that, and the other. Make it really human, really basic, really translatable. Thank you so much. It's um, it's so interesting hearing you talk about the sort of the exercises. Maybe that's the wrong word, but um, tools, I suppose, that that you can use to to introduce playfulness. Um, and I know you've you've both given examples already, but I wondered if there was one that maybe stood out to you, um, Arthur. Maybe something around coaching. Steve, maybe something around leadership that that's related to all these topics. So a, a case study, I suppose. Yes. Um, uh, while Steve was talking, I, I, I thought of the other Steve, Steve Zaccaro, who's who also coined the idea of experiential variety, and I think that's also a, a, a way in which you you increase playfulness. It seems to me. I was thinking about the, this case history idea, and I, I coached um, a chief executive of a housing association in Wales a couple of years ago, and um, she was someone who who was very very successful. Um, but also quite anxious, I suppose, about the, the, the job she had. I mean, it was a big, big um, job. Um, and so she, she tended to talk a lot, um, uh, and which in coaching is sometimes fine and sometimes not, I guess, because she, she wa wasn't particularly reflective. And I remember um, how the playfulness, these ideas spring from other things. So I, I used to take my grandson to um, his French class. There's a long story about his French class. And... Um, <clears throat> And as the start of this process for these 18-month-year-olds, the teacher would say, Kesquilia dans le sac, um, and invite the children to wander, toddle over often or crawl over and put their hands and get something out of the bag. So um, uh, it was about the fourth session, uh, and we'd done some walking coaching and, and so on. But she was still very, very kind of pouring out these stories all the time. And I asked her to whether she would, she would experiment a bit. So I had a sack full of puppets. and um, I asked her the question, so she, I asked her to choose two puppets. This was at the end of the session, and um, I think she chose, well, she didn't choose, or they chose her, I guess, Seifo and um, Julius Caesar. And I said, well, all you have to do with these is take them back with you, maybe sit them in the, on your office desk, and occasionally ask them some questions about what you're doing, you know, so that see what they think. Um, and the next session was an, a, a month away, and she came back... Um, with a very, very much more kind of thoughtful way of producing it. She was a bit skeptical about the finger puppets, as often people are. She liked the idea, and she said, I, I, first of all, I, I, I got onto Google and found out who they were and, and what they stood for, first thing. So the second, the second thing, I, I sat them on my desk, so uh, for everybody to see, so my texture and other people coming into the meetings, I'm just sitting there. And she said, I did every now and again, every day, sort of perhaps ask them a question about, wonder what... Julius Caesar would have done in this circumstance. And she said it helped her, um, and I, perhaps I'm putting words into my mouth now from this distance, but sort of play around with options. But previously she only saw one sort of, so I'm, I'm the chief executive, I need to decide what to do, and this is what I'm going to do, rather than being slightly more reflective. So I think some of those things that Steve talked about and some of the things that I, I know work, such as, not that walking is particularly playful, but it gives you a, a, a space for people to think differently. Um, and uh, there wasn't there wasn't many jokes about these two puppets. They were they were just sat there, but they really helped her think differently. And I think that's one of the things in leadership development. It seems to me, rather than allowing people to carry on a, on a, a narrow thread, is give people options about how they see the world, their world 
their organisation's world and the bits in between. So Arthur, it's, it's interesting again hearing you explain how how the puppets can work for people. But Steve, have you got a case study to share? Or? Okay, these puppets keep coming back, don't they, Rachel? You've got to get them in at every turn. They do. I don't know. <laughs> um, well, perhaps I could talk about, we sort of links, Arthur was talking about walking there as a form of, of playful activity. It's interesting that it can be playful. It would seem a quite an ordinary, everyday thing. But if you were to suddenly ask people in their context to go for a walk. So if they've if they've come to a leadership development and that you're meant to get X curriculum through and you just say to people, you know what, just go for a walk and uh, find out something about the person that you didn't know. So so introduce yourself and uh, if you really knew me, what would what would you say about me if you really knew me? And, and just have that as a basic question and come back in 10 minutes time. Just doing that doesn't it wouldn't be playful at a weekend going out with the, with your wife and your kids well maybe it would but you know it's in a sense you're just going for a walk but in the context of work which is serious and then you just let them do something else i remember as a young child it's i hated school um but the very best lessons were always the ones where you sat outside and you sat on the grass and you were talking about stuff. So instead of being in the classroom, you just sat on the grass and it felt playful, even though we were doing lessons. It was a beautiful spring, summer day. And I I can feel it now being outside at those moments. And I didn't hate school at that, that time. And so I'll give you a, a little example. Uh, it's in that book I, I think I mentioned, the Leadership Development Field Guide. I was uh, uh, poor in not mentioning that Gareth Edwards is also a co-editor of the book. Uh, anyway, there's a chapter in there which is called The Tents. And um, we've been doing The Tents now at Lancaster, and I think it's it's done elsewhere. I know it's at Warwick. Um, and uh, where we would pair people up. So this is an exec ed context. Pair people up and give them a map and give them um, a tent, a little fisherman's tent, very simple thing to put up in theory and so there's a map shows where they've got to put the tent up and they go walking off with their pair and their two locations are close enough to find together they can see each other but you can't hear each other you can wave at a distance and we give them instructions a mars bar a bottle of water a pad of paper and a pen and that's all they're given uh, and they then put up the tent, they help each other put up the tent. Obviously, there's a lot of laughter because it doesn't really work as you think it's going to work. And eventually, in some sort of shape, it's up. Then you go help your mate. And then it's a bit better when you do his or hers because it's you've learned it from the first one and, and you're doing that. And then you get back to your tent and you open up your envelope and it says you're going to sit here for the next 90 minutes. So they don't know how long they're going to be there. So they open up the instruction. You're going to sit there for the next 90 minutes and then you're going to be interviewed and you're going to interview your partner. And so at that moment, they sort of out of their tent, wave to each other. Have you read the paper? Yeah, yeah, I'll come down to you. I think 90 minutes, 90 minutes, right, got it. And then they sit there. And so they're in this strange atmosphere. They've got their bottle of water. They've got their Mars bar. And they've got 90 minutes. And when you get the feedback, they've gone from being, this is a ridiculous, strange thing right at the beginning. What am I going to do for 90 minutes? And then... They rationally think through. This is funny. They work out 
when should I have my Mars bar in the 90 minutes? When will I consume my water? Uh, and they actually think those things very carefully through. And then they get into the exercise, and the exercise is laid out in the chapter, which is what do you think leadership is? And then it takes you through your timeline, and you roll your way through in the 90 minutes all the experiences that have shaped you and how you lead or how you think you lead. And it becomes, for most people, quite a profound experience. And so when they go to their buddy partner and then share their story, they they have a bit of a laugh and about, you know, what were you doing? When did you have your Mars bar? Oh, I had it after 30 minutes. Oh, I kept mine till the end. And so they, you hear that, but then they get into rather deep, profound conversation about leadership learning. Now, I've also done that in a hotel. It was at Ash Ridge. It was snowing outside. And in a sense, there was a protest and they rebelled about going out with their tents. Understandable. And they said, look, we'll do your exercise right, Steve. We'll we'll go off to our hotel, our bedrooms in Ashridge, Ashridge House. Uh, and then uh, we'll do whatever you'd like us to do. And we'll, you know, it'll be done seriously. Um, Fine. And what they produced was complete pants. It was all motherhood and apple pie. They didn't get anywhere near. They stuck within the same confines of normality and just didn't get the opportunity to dig deep. And, and it was a shame. And I should have stuck to my principles and made them put an extra layer on and go out. And it would have been a deeply profound experience of bonding, playful survival out there in the snow. They would have remembered it for years to come. But they didn't. And they probably don't remember a jot about the exercise at all. So it's interesting when you, you think playfulness, outdoors, context, how you run those things together. Hmm. It's interesting because I imagine if you'd asked a bunch of children to go and pitch a tent in the snow, they wouldn't have had a problem with it at all, would they? <laughs> Not in the slightest, Rachel. Uh, it no. would have just been more fun and more more excitement uh, yeah. to do that. Yeah. Yeah, very and much. That, yeah. That's come up as we've talked quite a bit, hasn't it? Sort of the, this whole coming back to the inhibitions that children don't have that we have, or inhibitions. Yeah, Arthur, I think you were going to say something. Then sorry. No, I, I was just intrigued by um, Steve's story uh, and the the idea that the the space you're in has a has a you know, confines you, I guess, to um, and in a way that the the objects or the the finger puppets or the art and things sort of breaks apart. I don't know how it does it really. So it breaks apart this structure and allows people to see things differently. And what I think it happens then is, as Steve hinted at, you know, people remember these occasions. They don't necessarily remember the exact way in which that particular exercise was done or the instructions were given, but they take the idea with them. And it sort of seems to broaden out people's ability and I, I, get, I wrote down sort of the, the building of confidence to be able to do something for yourself as, a, as a, a leader. And so many leaders seem constrained and confined by like a straight jacket of um, serious, normal, how do I behave in this circumstance, rather than something that was a little bit more authentic. And I think the objects and the playfulness helps people find their authenticity a bit more easily. Yeah, thank you so much, both. For your for your case study, Sarah, that's it's all really really fascinating. Um, just moving on then to think about how playfulness becomes manifest in the work context, and maybe what this can do for managers and leaders. I don't know, Arthur, are you happy to touch yeah, on that? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
I think this is a hugely reflective space, really, and, and uh, it's different for different people. Um, I think what I've noticed much more recently is this idea of, of playfulness in, in a learning or in a development area allows people in the workplace to experiment a bit more. Um, and particularly, it seems to break away from uh, and the, the idea that, and I've had people say, well, you can't do, do that with this group because they're engineers or mathematicians or IT people. And I've found that the, the, the playfulness, particularly initially, the signaling of playfulness, um, <clears throat> Lee has been when one of the cohorts of, of executive coaching, and he said um, that when I walked in the room and sat down on the first day, uh, he said, firstly, I wasn't near the lectern. Secondly, didn't have any um, uh, PowerPoint slides. And thirdly, I had odd socks on. And I kind of was, he thought that I was, I, I didn't do it deliberately. Um, <laughs> he was, I was signaling the fact that we, he felt he could be a little bit more himself, a little bit more playful. And so, and I think that manifestation, that relaxation in the workplace is the way in which playfulness is manifest. You know, that you're almost in our role as either executive coaches or facilitators of, of leadership development programs is we're almost giving people permission to be uninhibited not completely not completely uninhibited but but uninhibited in a way in which they go about their work rather than looking for structures policies procedures they, they they're more likely it appears and this is certainly the way say for instance the general manager of this bakery in cardiff said before he said i was paid to make the decisions so i made the decisions and I, I virtually didn't know what people's voices sounded like because at the morning meeting, I used to tell them what to do, ask if there are any questions briefly because I'm very busy, I have to go now. Um, he said, but, but actually learning how to play a little bit, play, play in another sense of the word, play with my time a bit. So maybe be a bit more relaxed. Maybe I can be, give a bit more silence. Maybe I can find a different way of engaging people. And he said, all of a sudden, I heard people's voices and they had ideas. And he said, and that's also kind of the way in which I look at the, the way children play in, in, in a sense. And I was with my grandchildren, all three of them yesterday, and the way in which in their various ages, two, four and seven, they were kind of, they molded their day through like the place we were in the outside. Like Steve said, we were sitting on the grass. There's a few swings nearby. There was a woodland walk, but they kind of created their own sense rather than saying, well, what do I do in this particular situation? So it's this melting of the the borders and barriers. I think that the um, what's the word? Almost like osmosis. You're almost clearing the way. The cell wall becomes a little bit more porous, so that there's an exchange both of of goodwill and and pleasantry that's that is received back by ideas, uh, people's voices, and inevitably when you get like that, there tends to be laughter. There tends to be people picking up the mantle and being a bit more playful. Um, so, I, so I think, um, I'm not trying to say, trying to revolutionize the world because you can see from uh, current examples that leadership isn't an easy thing to, to grasp hold of and there are lots of bad leaders around. So I'm not saying this is the only thing you can do, but I think uh, giving people permission to be a bit more than, like themselves and be authentic is the way in which they will be able to work with teams, work with, organizations work with big serious issues in a way that's a little bit lighter a little bit more friendly uh, and depends on consistently building rapport and trust so that individuals can perhaps think of a different idea 
uh, think of a different way of doing things that's a bit less anxiety creating, of course. You know, so there is a well-being message to this as well. So I wonder, Rachel, if I just jump in there and follow on. Um, so I, it's interesting. I, what was framing in my mind as you were speaking there, Arthur, uh, was a sense of authentic playfulness, manipulative playfulness. Mm -hmm. And I think obviously the stories and the ways that we've been speaking and have been around authentic playfulness, but you can imagine how organizations could create a system where you're meant to go in and do something that's playful and they, and they, they manipulate what should be because of this outcome that we want. And, and then you can just imagine how it becomes systemized and the bureaucracy associated with it. And then the feedback sheets, I mean, I'm, I'm drifting here slightly, but I have to say, maybe I shouldn't say, but at the stage of my career now, it doesn't matter what I say, um, which is higher education. And I'm not just speaking about my own institute, but if I may, more broadly, has become far less playful. Um, okay. the, the, the structures that we work around are yeah, just teaching a module. It, it must be taught in a certain way, must be explicit what all the learning outcomes are. That's not a bad thing. Of course it isn't. But then we must structure and be curtailed from randomly talking about something. I remember a class, um, oh, I did a long time ago, and I and I this is an undergraduate class, and I just played them a Pink Floyd album. Um, it was Dark Side of the Moon. It was particularly Money, and then Us and Them. If you know the Pink Floyd album, uh, and we just had a big conversation about the juxtaposing between money, neoliberal capitalism, us and them, uh, a more utilitarian perspective of ethics, uh, and how we have camps and tribes and those sort of things. Now, most of <laughs> imagine. Money and us and them combined, probably about 15 minutes of a 50-minute lecture. Uh, now, that, okay, I guess it's playfulness in this context. I would really struggle now to be able to convince myself that I could do that and there wouldn't be repercussions of, of just maybe one or two students in the class who hated it, that then it would go up and feedback would come and... Because we now, it may be different, but if, if you get a score less than four out of five, you, you get taken down to the, the department and then put in an agrarian tray and sent off to Siberia. Shouldn't make that reference at the moment. But in a sense, there's, there's, there's so little joy and playfulness kicking around. And now is the time, after what we've been through, there's never been a more important time for playfulness. To get back to your, your question, Rachel, sorry for that divergent there. Um, I have seen playfulness in a really thoughtful, organized way around um, problem solving and creativity in organizations. You both will probably be familiar with uh, the idea of sprints and scrums and things like that. Mm. So in the manufacturing context. And when you see how, and I've, I've been into places where we've had sessions around their whiteboards uh, with where the scrum comes together and burn down charts and all these things that go on with their sprints and scrums. And the little sort of playfulness on the whiteboard with faces and you can't, again, on the video, you wouldn't, you'd see it, but you know, the chads where you put a head over. So what's going on here? And someone make a, I can't think of the comic line now, but you know, someone would say something about progress and then the humor about what they're doing in their conversations and it allowing creativity and problem solving to flourish out. 
Uh, and you see that going on when it's a really well run, well facilitated thing they call them scrum masters, where the person allows, encourages, facilitates the playfulness to enable the creative problem solving to occur. So I can see it going on. And I think there's really good practice and, and organizations can do so much more of that. But I would go back to my opening line. It's about the authenticity of that playfulness as opposed to the manipulativeness of that playfulness that's going on. And maybe we can use this um, this podcast to, to spread a little playfulness, perhaps. <laughs> mm. um, and just thinking about sort of rounding things off, I suppose, and maybe thinking about what's next in the world of coaching and also maybe in, in leadership development, if you'd both be happy to share some comments. Uh, yes, um, uh... I think there's 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 two things. One one to just echo what Steve said. You know, the idea of allowing people to be authentic um, uh, and providing them with the space to do so, and not really making that space any more formal than the space that the facilitator or the manager or the scrum master dictates. Um, there is, I would completely agree, the kind of idea that everything has to be formula formulaic. You know, so that someone will grow on ideas and, and people have asked me, so well, what part of the lecture do you, you introduce the finger puppets? And I say, well, when they tell me, well, that's, you know, the, usually that um, um, means that I'm just waiting for the opportunity. And so some of it is about perhaps allowing people to become more confident about their own abilities to be intuitive and to follow the learning that's going on within a group or with a, with a client or an individual you might be coaching or mentoring. Um, I suppose there's uh, there's also trends that have, have, have appeared and perhaps have, are beginning to disappear again uh, with COVID. You know, the, my colleagues um, in the university, um, a couple of them, have been working on the idea of unleadership, you know, the the way in which people who don't necessarily want the mantle or the pay or the job description can emerge from nowhere really with ideas. Uh, because they they are true to themselves, I suppose, um, in all their colourfulness, whether it be Mar Marcus Rashford or um, uh, Centurion NHS guy. Um, so what's his what's his name? Moore, I think. Um, uh, so, so that those people don't um, aren't really taught about leadership. They don't need to develop their leadership. What they need is a space. Uh, to develop their own kind of inimitable in, 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 in style, I guess. Is, um, and that strikes me as important, those two things, you know, uh, allowing people to come out of their shells, come out of their formal educated shells to become themselves is a way in which leadership can develop uh, in a way that's meaningful to society and organisations. But um, it is difficult, I guess, to... What's the word? I suppose if you were selling a course with lots of playful in it, playfulness in it, it is sometimes difficult to convince people that this is the, the right way of, of going ahead. But I go back to probably what I started at with Johann Hoitzinger and the, the and other studies that have been going on around how primates behave, is that we are, and I forgive me, any listener that you, we are monkeys, you know, we are primates and this is this creativity this playfulness is within us and what we need from organizations and from facilitators of development is holding that space that liminal space in which people can develop strongly their own confidence in themselves and that's where i think uh, uh, leadership development is heading i hope 
Steve, are you happy to add some comments? Well, yeah, I think Arthur's neatly summed it up there. I think in part, there's a yearning to go back because we've been tucked away for two years uh, just to be with people and, and have fun and, and enjoy it. So I, I think there'll be a, a rekindling, a blossoming, um, an excitement just to be with people and then humour will flow and um, joyousness will come through because we can just get together and tell stories and anecdotes and bits and pieces. So I think we'll see more of that. Uh, I think organisations may wake up to the need for that. Um, at our management school, one of my colleagues, uh, Carol, um, she looks after facilities management of the Lums building. She's organised uh, walks. Um, so there's once a week, you can walk around campus, walk around and, and people gather. And she started the idea, it's been done many places, but if you just turn up at reception at 12.30 and there's somebody there, just go for a walk with that person. So the, so the deal is just turn up and then maybe one, two, ten, just walk with them. Uh, and, the, and because that's the deal, you know that's what you're doing and you just go for the walk wherever you want to walk. So, so she's introduced that as a way of, yeah. I think, addressing all sorts of well-being issues and disconnects that has occurred as a consequence of the pandemic. I was going to say less of the virtual space of placefulness, but I'm, I, I was reminded because in the, in the depths of the pandemic, we started a program and um, we had, I think it was 14, 16 people online in this cohort. And we, it was an induction and normally you bond together, you do all those things that I was describing and physical contact is a, is a big thing of trust building in all sorts of ways. Mm -hmm. um, and anyway, we decided to do the marshmallow challenge, which you both probably would be familiar with, where you build a marshmallow tower. So we told people, one person had to collect all the bits but not know what it was about. And so in one location, we had all the bits that otherwise you'd do together and build the marshmallow tower. And then we had breakout rooms using Zoom. And in these various groups, they were given 15 minutes to follow the instructions. So we'd then put up the instruction and they had to build their tower. And in their groups, of course, they were not together, but they were falling over themselves with laughter about the experiments and things that were going on and building their tower. And then after the 15 minutes or whatever minutes it was, we came back into plenary and then we had the measuring of the tower and then we'd capture this picture because there was a prize that I'd asked the dean to give the highest marshmallow tower. Uh, and so we had to have it authenticated, a bit like, um, what's the record breakers guy who always turned up on television programs? I forget, Ross something. And he could turn up and measure something. And so we'd have this authenticity of the height of the tower that the dean could see to award this prize and blah, blah, blah. So we, had, you know, we created playfulness on playfulness. Uh, and it was just fabulous. And I, I was, I'd gone from being deeply sceptical that you can only really do this playfulness physically together to see the opportunities with a little bit of thought that could come. So I'm, I'm, I'm probably revising in my mind where the digital could go in leadership development. But I guess I'm of a generation um, where just being together and doing those simple things seems to count most think but more playfulness is the answer authentic playfulness is the answer surely mm -hmm. thank you both so much it's been just truly fascinating to hear your stories and to have your expertise and to just talk through and talk around 
um, yeah, playfulness, leadership development and um, yeah, to have your time has been really fantastic. So thank you both so very much. Um, and we'll make sure we put out another plug for the book and another plug for the puppets. <laughs> and um, yeah, as I said, greatly, greatly appreciated. Um, and, and thank you very much for your time. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to be part of a future impact podcast or would like to comment on anything we've discussed, please do email us at fbl.news at uwe.ac.uk or search Bristol Business School or Bristol Law School on Twitter. <laughs>